This is Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From the UK, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from New Zealand is Dave Wood. So, dub dub. Dub dub, yep. (laughs) (laughs) To me, there's only two slash three things that I'm looking for in that, in the keynote now, I think. Yeah. I think all the other leaky stuff that I've seen, I've sort of been like, yeah, that's nice, but that's Mm -hmm. not really what I'm going to be like sat on the edge of my seat for when it's keynote day. I think item number one, the Mac Pro. That's, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to buy it, but I'm just so intrigued to see it. And I assume that they're going to, yeah, they're going to have to show it, right? They can't not show it at this point, I think. No. Um, unless it's just totally not ready, in which case that's kind of alarming, given that it's but- a 2019 product and it's been over two years at this point since they had that roundtable and they'd already been on it, presumably for six months to a year. Yep. Yeah, so so I, I feel the same. If we don't see it, or at least see some sort of glimpse of it, yeah, then I feel like it's you know, hey ho, maybe it's not coming, and that sort of feels like a big disappointment, really. It does. It well, it would, yeah. Um, and I guess sort of tied to that is the potential of that new pro cinema display. So that'd be that'd be cool to see. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just so curious to see what what it what it is they they roll out. Um, I kind of feel like we're we're in to see something special just because I feel like it's taken quite a long time. I mean, if they wanted to make another cheese grater, they probably could have done it by now. Number two, just to sort of rattle through this list quickly is obviously marzipan and and what, what that means for us as developers. Yeah. And number three, although I know it's very increasingly unlikely would be the potential of that new 16 inch MacBook pro. But I think given what's taken place this week with the 2019 MacBook Pro's coming out. Uh, that's that fire's probably had a bucket of water chucked on it. I would have thought. Yeah, I, I'd have said so. I mean, this is maybe a um, for me that that sort of indicated like, yeah, okay, we're not likely to see a new MacBook Pro with Dub Dub. It doesn't kind of preclude the, those models like that 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 rumor around the sort of sixteen inch that's more. Um, it's even more edge to edge, isn't it? The bezels are further out. Was was the idea of it? That's how it it gains that space. Yeah, the way I look at it is almost like it's getting the treatment that the iPhone XR got. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, the way I look at that as well as is, I sort of think um, with with these MacBook Pro updates that we've had, it feels unlikely we're going to see that sort of a machine next week. Uh, but I do feel like we could see it later on in the year. It doesn't kind of completely rule it out, you know, for an October kind of update or something around that time. Uh, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be next week. Um, I may be, may be wrong there, just, but... Uh, <sighs> Makes me yeah. sad. <laughs> Makes me really Actually, sad. Um, uh, I'm sorry, dude. I know you were really, really looking forward to this because this is a machine that you're... Um, you've been kind of saving towards and, and getting things ready for. Yeah. And to be honest, yeah. like the, a 15 inch that's out that came out like last week, wouldn't be the worst thing ever, but I would just be buying it thinking, oh, if they release something in October, I'm going to be so annoyed. <laughs> no, yeah. Do I, do I, at this point, what are we basically we're knocking on the door of June. Um, then it's only like the summer and we're there. So it's really not that long. Um, I mean, initially when I saw the, the update, I kind of thought, hmm, maybe maybe they are still going to announce something at Dub Dub, like the 16 inch, and they're just getting these 
updates out of the way now quietly in a press release so that when they do talk about the 16-inch on stage, they don't even have to mention what's going on with the 15 because the press release is taking care of that. And we can just talk about the 16-inch on stage because we're going to want to talk about the new revolutionary design from the ground up new thing that they've made. Yep. And then I kind of thought, Actually, no, that's probably stupid. They're not going to do that at all, are they? Um, imagine if people go out now buying this 15-inch MacBook yeah. Pro. Only then, two weeks later, to have something new. That is going to be infuriating. Um, it would feel like a massive bait-and-switch, I think, in a lot of ways. And, oh, it and, would, wouldn't it? it the, the, um, especially as the, these updates as well are the, the updates for devs. They're the updates for people who are in companies that keep a, you know, a, a fleet of development machines or whatever, um, because they are the fastest processors that these machines have, have ever had. And they, they're kind of knocking on the door of the, the iMac Pro, aren't they, in terms of what what the fastest ones can do. With the 8-core, yeah. Um, yeah. Looking at, I think, Geekbench results of, it was either 30,000 or just beneath 30,000 on the multi-core, uh, which, yeah, puts it right underneath the, I think it puts it between the old trash can mac pro and just underneath the imac pro on the geekbench browser rankings which is pretty incredible when you think that actually it's this is a laptop mm. like sustained load maybe that's a different issue and and i, I still maintain if you know, you're going to be cranking out 4k uh exports from final cut pro on a daily basis then you know maybe maybe not buy this machine maybe you should get the <laughs> imac pro or or something like that um yeah to me the sustained kind of workload, you know, thermal throttling, keeping up the the high core frequency, that's not really of paramount importance to me. What's important is is that it can get there for a little while, yeah, and then drop off again because that's essentially how I work, especially with like compiling code. It's like quick burst done, yeah. So for me, that's that's awesome. I think actually, if I'm considering, because basically I don't know what to do. I don't know whether to buy one of these things now or hold on. If I buy one now strongly considering the 8-core i9 um, purely because, uh, yeah, like the, the speed is just going to be in- incredible. And it looks like, from what I've seen, uh, you know, various people on YouTube, is that it's not really thermal throttling at all. Um, and it's actually holding its own. I saw one YouTube video, um, I'll try and link it in the show notes, it had the old 6-core i9 from last year in the 15-inch. And then yep. it put it against the eight core i nine from this year, and I think the yeah last year's model was I think they ran a script in the terminal which basically just pegs the CPU so it just puts <laughs> it under maximum load. And last year's one was running at like ninety eight degrees and it was throttling down the six core from last year was throttling down like crazy and yep. it was really really hot. Whereas the eight core was running at about eighty four eighty six degrees and it seemingly wasn't throttling. So that's right. good. I mean, I don't know what they've done. I don't know what Intel's right. done to make that difference because we've got two extra cores now. I saw Quinn from Snazzy Labs put up something which alluded that the cooling system is basically the same in this year's model to last year's. Right, so it's all on the chip then. It must be. Yeah, it absolutely must be. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to know what they've actually done. So, yeah, I mean, you add all of that together and it, it feels quite unlikely there'll be a MacBook Pro update with DubDub, I think, really. Um, just, just give given those those are the machines that we've 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 had now. Um, I don't know. I kind of do feel like there's a possibility. There's the there's a, it's probably quite fringe and 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 quite unlikely, but it feels to me like there is 
a sliver of a possibility that if we saw an updated machine that's not the Mac Pro, it might be the MacBook, the like the twelve inch MacBook. Um, simply because that's the the smallest device, the, the um, one of the devices that hasn't had an update in in the, uh, the longest of times, I think now in terms of the um, the, the laptop uh, sort of line. So we obviously we had the MacBook Air um, six seven months ago now. Yeah, back in October, no. wasn't it? Yeah. So that that's overdue. Um, so I, I don't know, but but I feel like the story for for the twelve inch MacBook is that that's going to be the first machine to get our ARM. Yeah, it's crying out for an ARM chip that machine so badly. Yeah, so it would be quite interesting if we saw that so soon. I, I sort of feel like that would be a case of well, mm, we might see it with it being on its way, um, sort of post uh, post September. Really, that that's the sort of thing that I feel like it will. It will need the OS update uh, to come in as well. Yeah, I wonder if it's still too soon for ARM. Yeah. I mean, the rumours I've been hearing is 2021, 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if we got a kind of speech where, you know, almost like Steve Jobs did when you went from PowerPC to Intel, and it's kind of like we're telling you developers today that we're going to be moving across to Intel and we've still got loads of PowerPC products in the pipeline. Something like that wouldn't surprise me. Yep. Maybe this year, and it would seem kind of like Apple being on good form, telling us this early, and like, here's what you need to do to prepare, and here's what's going on, and this is how Marzipan's going to weave into it and could actually help you. Yep. Um, that would make a huge amount of sense, and that would be super exciting. But in terms of actual hardware, I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether we would see anything much before. It wouldn't surprise me if we get this kind of speech next year, when I think yeah. about it. Um. Although it would be I, cool if we got it this year. <laughs> I just don't know. I mean, I'm so hopeful for it, and I think that's perhaps why I'm I'm kind of wishcasting and sort of you know putting that on on this dub dub event uh, because I, I don't really even know why. In a lot of ways, I could, couldn't articulate to you. You know, okay, why is Arm a better idea? I think it just intrigues me that you know they're going to potentially be going through this sort of transition, and I want to see what that looks like. I think more than anything else, there's, there's potential benefits I can see, you know, in terms of the fact that the chips that they've they've got now for the most recent iPad Pros and for for the phones are getting quite good, getting quite fast, you know. And I, yeah. I kind of I'm intrigued to see what that looks like when that comes into a Mac, uh, whether that brings you know battery benefits or that side of stuff. But fundamentally, I'm I'm more just curious to see how they're going to pull it off and what the mechanism is behind it and that side of things. So, I don't know, I, I am kind of, I guess, putting that lens on, on things a lot. Uh, but the thing I would say is I sort of feel like that that idea of um, of the speech that Steve made when, when the transition from PowerPC to Intel was on the go, I feel like the dynamic that was there then doesn't exist in the same way now. So at that point, it was all or nothing. You know, it was okay. We are moving as a platform to these processors, and and yeah, that was a big deal because I guess people um, had processor specific code inside some of their their programs. You know, yeah, um, bits of assembly or whatever else that was sort of reliant on on what the processors were doing. And I kind of feel like these days, certainly if I think about the way iOS apps are built, you don't build um, in that way. 
you know, you sit on top of the stack and, and you don't really go down to, to that level unless you're sort of making a, um, the, the unities and, and, um, the unreal engines of this world, they will leverage those sort of things. Right. But they're, that's their business, um, to, to be able to sort of get down to, to that level of the metal. So I don't know. I feel like the dynamic is different. That that explanation doesn't need to be there for application developers in quite the same way. So I wonder whether an announcement today would be more along the lines, I think, of we're going to be doing this and we will be including ARM processors within our lineup rather than it being we're going wholesale over to ARM. I feel like the announcement would be that the ARM is going to become part of the story for Mac. Uh, and then you know the, the 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 next step with that is the same conversation as the original one, which is, and this is what it means for developers. These are the things that you should be supporting in advance of that. Um, and yeah, I, 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 Marzipan is clearly kind of tied into that in one way or another. I think really, um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I sort of feel like the the arm announcement, if you like, might not be as as sort of all or nothing as as we might have thought a little while ago i kind of feel like it's just going to be a case of we're going there it has these sort of impacts and don't worry about it you know when the machines are are here they're going to just sit alongside any other mac i think that's kind of the the, the direction they're going to go in terms of, of of what the arm processor change means overall i'd encourage you to go back to youtube and yep. uh, actually watch the power pc to intel thing because you could almost switch out Power PC for uh, Intel and Intel for ARM in the in the presentation, and it would make sense in today's context. I think. Okay. Um, kind of when they're talking about the, the struggles that Power PC that they're having, like we wanted to give you this and we couldn't, and you know performance per watt and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Same stuff holds true. Just now it's Intel versus ARM instead of Power PC versus Intel. It's uh, yeah. Kind of weird. <laughs> you think in just a short space of time, it's all almost come full circle in that way. I'd, I'd agree. I, I just, I guess, I don't think that um, I don't think they're necessarily going to want to ditch Intel completely overnight. I feel like it's going to be a little bit more protracted than it than it might have been with PowerPC. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess I read it that the, the relationship now is so uh, stretched and tense that I, I don't know. I think probably the sooner Apple can get away, the better, and the writing's kind of already on the wall to to a large extent. Um, I think uh, I think I was reading something John Gruber wrote about someone he spoke to at Apple as to why the Mac, the new MacBook Air took so long because it seemed like we were asking for that product for ages and it was almost like this mystery like why hasn't Apple updated the MacBook Air and seemingly the answer was Intel right just took them so long to get the chips and that basically held up the whole product and it's almost like that's holding Apple almost <laughs> almost hostage in a sense that they can't. Yep put the products out they want to put out because Intel can't get the chips. And even on the uh, the uh, financial results call in the last quarter, I think there was even a almost like a direct dig at Intel because Mac sales were down. And uh, some someone said, why were they down in the, in the conference call? And I think they said, uh, you know, chips that we use for certain models were in short supply. And, and if you look at uh, news surrounding Intel, there was a shortage in, in their output. So again, that's kind of like that directly impacted Apple's business, and I just don't know how long they're going to put up with that kind of behaviour. Really, when you look at it like that, yeah, 
Not, not to mention they can't seem to nail 10 nanometer and TSMC are already on 7, which I know is equivalent <laughs> to Intel's 10, but they're already thinking about 5. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it, I don't think it bodes well for Intel at all. Um, no, not, yeah, not think- at all. Uh, I, I guess I'm just coming from a point of view that I think that um, it's going to take Apple a little while to kind of get get the chips working in the way they want them to work for the whole of the Mac range. Yes. So I kind of there's, there's going to be this sort of overlap, and I think they would be sensible to kind of play that um, play that fairly cool, you know, just in terms of um of, of kind of like like I say not not completely sort of disrupting the platform as it is today because they're still probably going to be selling Intel machines for some time to come just as they sort of replace models out and, and kind of roll the chips out over the platform. So I kind of feel like it's going to be a this sort of um like I say like a crossfade between the two really and i can't remember enough of what happened with the power pc transition um exactly to really speak that. to what that was like exactly yeah that. they yeah. i think they even had a graphic on stage of like the power pc logo fading and the intel logo fading out of it right so yeah the crossfade is the perfect way to put it yeah yeah it'd be interesting it'd be fascinating to watch and the, you know when it when it comes down to it I, again i just come back to the ipad pro it's uh, a phenom- phenomenally powerful chip and you consider that that is running, sort of sipping at power to be efficient, and it doesn't have any sort of fan on it. And I just think, you know, if you strap that to a, a MacBook Pro battery, or even an iMac that's plugged into a wall, and you strap a big fan to it, what could you make it do then? Yeah. To me, that's uh, yeah, that's that's a, that's a fascinating thought. Yeah, absolutely. And and you can sort of see quite quickly that that could be you know, replacement for certainly some of the uh the lower to mid range machines until they sort of figure out um let's say make beefing them up. And maybe this this comes full circle to the start of our conversation and maybe there is a, a, a Mac Pro story in here somewhere. Um, oh, I do wonder, yeah. Yeah. That, that sort of like good. a what was it that, that leak? Well it wasn't a leak, I think it was just a fake thing, but it was it was made out to be a leak, like an internal document from Apple about the, the Mac Pro. And I think on that they said there was some kind of accelerator chip, which is like the ARM chip that sits alongside the Xeon that Intel offer. Yeah. So it's sort of like a hybrid approach. I mean that takes some pulling off, but it'd be uh be impressive, I think. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. That's uh, I, we're just going to have to wait and see. Really, oh, so, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're reading tea leaves here massively, but it just, it just fascinates me this whole area. I can't wait to see how it unfolds. I mean, I just yes, I want to see the Mac Pro, and secondary to that, I, yeah, this ARM thing is uh, is, is going to be awesome to watch it. And it kind of makes me think, actually, do I want to get an Intel Mac? Yeah, this MacBook Pro, do I? Do I? Is, I'm going to have to get an Intel Mac. I think it's going to be too long to wait to get an ARM one, especially yep. an ARM, a Mac that. You know, MacBook Pro essentially. Even if it, if they start transitioning to the 12 inch MacBook, say next year, could be another two years before the MacBook Pro gets it properly. So, yeah, I guess just have to suck it up and buy whatever Intel are offering at the moment. Yeah, potentially some hard decisions if if we see stuff um, anytime soon, I guess. So, yeah, I will, uh, there'll be a little part of me on Monday sort of hoping that we, uh, we get something, uh, 16 inch MacBook Pro related and I'll be sort of every time they 
go between sections on the keynote, I'll be thinking, oh, is this going to be it? But I, I, I think I'm going to have to <laughs> accept now that that's probably not going to be the case. I mean, I even did start thinking that they announced the 15-inch MacBook Pro uh, within two weeks of DubDub. So if you did buy one now, you're within their two-week return window. You would be, yeah. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe maybe that's by design. Um, but <laughs> I think that's probably a bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest signal there is to, to suggest they're probably not on their way. Yeah, yeah, I would guess yeah. so. Uh, Look so there we go. Up. So looking at some of the other rumours and certainly bits and bobs that have kind of uh, come out there about iOS 13, it looks like there's probably going to be some uh, iPad-specific bits coming into the OS. Uh, potentially so looking at Matt rumors handy little list for this stuff um the potential here is that um, there could be a, a feature for the ipad displaying multiple windows in a single ipad app using a tab view so that that could be a thing that's coming along along with um the other potential for multiple windows and stackable cards within apps on the ipad so I'm looking at that and I'm kind of thinking, hmm, that's quite Mac, Mac light stuff coming across into the iPad. Uh, and that that feels like the sort of inverse story of um of Marzipan to some degree. Uh, you know, if you sort of take Marzipan as being UI kit and, and iOS stuff coming to the Mac, this this feels like uh, the reverse flow. And I think that's going to be one of the great things about Marzipan. I think we said this fairly early on when the rumour broke, uh, maybe over a year ago now, that the, the obvious sort of train of thought is, oh good, iOS stuff can now run on the Mac. But actually, because of that, it's almost like the some of the heaviness of the Mac can find its way over to the iPad to make the iPad more of a power user tool. Yeah. And that they can both benefit from each other's strengths rather than it just being a one-way street where iPad apps, as they currently are, now run on Mac. But actually, it can be a, a two-way street, and actually both platforms could be lifted from it. And I think that's that's awesome. And I, I, I almost think that the iPad Pro from last year, they kind of needed iOS 13 to ship with them. But of yeah. course, it, it didn't. And, and you know, they, they shipped with iOS 12, and it's kind of like, well, these, these are lovely pieces of hardware, but essentially we're still left with iOS 12, which doesn't doesn't give us all the things that perhaps you'd want from an iPad Pro. So I'm I'm quite curious because I've been reasonably anti-iPad for the for the run of this show, really. And that's not to say that you're wrong to use it if it works for you. That's great. I just can't see how it would work for me. Looking at some of these rumours and leaks that have come out of the iPad, it you know, could change my mind, potentially. Um, not that yeah. I would ditch my Mac and go fully, like, sort of fully Daryl Baxter mode and just live on an iPad, but I would... Uh, certainly consider putting one into play as part of my workflow i I do think though the thing that would make me more interested in the ipad potentially the ipad pro is the whole rumor about handing off from the mac to the ipad yep and then you can kind of you know use something with the pencil on the ipad and then hand it back to the mac sort of use your ipad as a second mac screen um, but then it also kind of doubles as a very nice Wacom tablet style thing as well. Yeah. Um, and again, this that is kind of a signal to me that Apple is playing to their strengths in that it's coming back to the whole ecosystem argument where it's not iPad versus Mac, it's Mac and iPad working together. 
yep. and you kind of got uh, not to steal a quote directly from Tim Cook here, but I think he said once you need the right device for the right moment. And I think yeah. that's, that's kind of quite true there, actually, because like when you need the big, the big hammer, you've got like the iMac Pro on a desk. But actually, when the moment's right and you want to do some design work using the Apple Pencil, maybe using some kind of design app, that's a ap- really appropriate use of the iPad. Um, and then hand it back to the Mac, and that's like everything working as it should, like very harmoniously. Yeah. Um, and I kind of these narratives in in the press that I keep reading about, like the iPad is going to kill the Mac, or it's like I, I think that's just a bit short sighted. I think both have got a really good place, uh, yeah. and they can actually both do a lot for each other. And we just need to maybe focus on that a little bit more rather than you know Mac users being like, oh, the iPad doesn't do real work, and all. Yeah, it's just like such. Like low resolution <laughs> thinking. <laughs> yes, you know. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I'm really here for that sort of potential. Um, you know, especially assuming that you know my ten ten and a half inch iPad Pro can support it, which I would imagine it would. I'd imagine this would extend back a few generations through the iPad Pros. I should think so. Yeah, uh, certainly the, the the majority of the screen share stuff, at least. Um. Yeah, so I'm I'm very much up for that, especially if it's sort of. I mean, one thing I saw was the potential that that you can sort of just use the iPad as a as an external display, and I think there's probably more of a handover story here than anything else. You know, it's apps running on the iPad that have then got that that increased continuity between their their Mac counterparts. Uh, but if there is something along those lines as well to let me sort of gain access to my Mac across the house that side of stuff, um, I'd be really very happy to have some of that too. Uh, because it's my iPad that I'm on when I'm kind of you know, chilling out in the living room or whatever, um, and my Mac Mini's sat on the other side of the house. Um, it would give me that sort of window into that, I guess. Um, so, yeah, be be happy for some of that. And then handover itself and that sort of connectivity between the Mac and the iPad I could see that being really useful for sort of working out my desk as well. Extending extending my screen space in some ways, potentially I can have things running on the iPad and then just sort of bring bring that up on the Mac as well if I need to get into it there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to sort of see what, what happens with that. Um, and like you say, I, I think this, this could be about the right device for the right time and sort of leveraging the two together. And that that feels very very Apple like to me, you know that, that that feels like what we see sort of everywhere else in the ecosystem. So I don't know, maybe as well um, as as you've sort of said already that this kind of makes the iPad start to make sense um, for for diehard Mac users, um, and that that would be quite cool too, like a companion product kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'd I love the idea of um, for artists, you know, to be able to start using it as a a, a, tab, a Wacom tablet sort of style interface and that that is just natively supported through the OS. And you can see Marzipan, Marzipan being the glue that holds it all together, perhaps. I think so, yeah. So you've got the Mac-based version of the app and then you hand it over to the iPad version of the app, but it's still the same app, so you've got feature parity between the yep. Mac and the iPad version, and then the layout just changes su- you know, to be suitable for the 27-inch iMac down to the 11-inch iPad Pro, for example, that you're now using a pencil with versus your you know, your touchpad or whatever. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, it, that to me sounds exactly what I want Apple to be doing with iOS and the Mac rather than this kind of conflict that we hear about. This is, this is what I want. I want kind of good solutions where, you know, both platforms can prop one another up. So I think, I think that'd be great. I guess just to round up, I'm, I'm looking down at potential developer additions here. And within that, as indie devs, there's the potential here for sort of things we could do. Um, so looking down some of the rumoured things, and there will be more guaranteed, I think, for, for this end of stuff. And then there's probably going to be one or two bits that leap out next week that we'll be talking about on the next show. But looking at this, um, AR kit improvements, which yeah. I think would be uh, pretty welcome. I, I sort of see, um, so I think specifically with AR kit, the thing I'm looking for is an Apple solution for, for object occlusion. Um, and for for being able to put things behind things that are there in in the real life scene, so I'm hopeful we see something around that. Maybe that that's not going to be part of iOS 13, but that that would be interesting to me to see some progression there. Um, I think probably some general general AR kit improvements will will, will be seen this year. We've seen it year on year since it was announced, uh, but otherwise. The thing that really just piqued my interest as I saw it in this list was the potential for document scanning support in third-party apps. So that's yeah. the document scanning from the within what we see within notes, um, I guess, potentially being opened out to to other apps. That could be quite cool. Yeah, opening out some of those things that are currently Apple-specific, um, there, there could be some some great value there. So. Yeah, because actually the discoverability of that feature isn't great because I've had to use it before. Um, I forget what it was now. A family member was like, oh, can you help me scan these documents so I can email it to so-and-so? And I was like, oh, why don't we just use the document scanner built into the phone, save, you know, dragging the scanner out of the cupboard or whatever it was. Um, and actually, yeah, I had to stop and sort of scratch my head. I think I had to even search online on how to do it. Um, yeah. It wasn't entirely obvious. It's kind of buried within notes. So yeah, like a little scan app would be uh, would be great just to sort of pull that feature out and you know bubble it to the surface, as it were. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. anything that sort of opens out some of those uh, some of those OS specific features, as it were, to everybody else, there's always some potential value for for indie app makers then to sort of sit on top of that and do something quite cool. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, that could be cool. So I, th- I think everything else is going to be kind of general incremental improvements. You know, everything that's not look, looking at the, the state of things, everything that is not attached to marzipan is going to be more sort of just, and now we're a notch ahead, you know, in terms of Siri integration, AR kit um, improvements, perhaps to, to how we can use the Taptic engine and that side of stuff. Um yeah, I don't know. I really am. I mean, I'm biased here. I, I'm here for Marzipan. That that is my 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 big hope for Dub Dub. Is everything that 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 can sort of bring us. Um, I guess I'm still kind of holding out for a bit of policy change, almost like real free trials, maybe and upgrade pricing. But that feels like a stretch at this point. I think, given the the path Apple's on. Yep. Um, but blimey, I, I would love it if they did that. Because I'm, I'm looking at how I can monetize like read list um, when when the time comes, and I look at in app purchase, and I'm like, oh, I'd rather not. And then I look at subscription, and I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I think I know what would solve this: just 
pay me for it with like a 30 day free unrestricted trial so you can see if you like it and then pay at the end and then I can be busy working on version 2 and then you can have that at a discount when it's ready that just seems like such a such an obvious thing to do um <laughs> Yeah, you know, it'd be it's... nice. It'd be nice to see something, even if it's not quite that, but something that gets gets nearly there. Um, yeah, just, is, just anything pushed by Apple. I feel like that's almost at odds with their kind of overall direction of travel. In that, you know, subscription services is where they want to be going, but I just don't know if it's right in the long run. No, and I, I feel like subscriptions as a whole are quite a top-heavy kind of approach, right? If every app is a subscription, well. I've got a limited budget and I don't necessarily want to keep spending and spending and spending on apps that I might only use a few times in a month. That's, that's not yeah. really where I'm at. And I feel like a lot of people are the same, even if they kind of want to support app makers and, and you know, pay to, to support the apps they love. There's, there's a limit and that, that purchase, that psychology around it, I don't think sort of feels like it, um, it fully aligns with the idea of what a, a subscription is. Whereas a trial and then the actual proper payment for the app, I feel like that does align with where a lot of people's um, psychology around this stuff is. You know, I want a, I want a tool to do a job. I'm not sure if that tool is necessarily the right one to do the job that I'm trying to do. So the trial makes sense there. Um, okay. I'm getting the use out of it. Awesome. Let's buy the tool rather than let's buy the subscription and it sits there forever more on my bank accounts. And, and it also a... allows developers to potentially charge more because if you were to put your app up at seven ninety nine in the store, paid up front, yeah. a lot of people are going to look at that and go, well, I, I don't really want to pay that amount just to see if it's any good. Because yep. it might not be. It might be terrible. However, if you give them the free trial you as the developer can then prove to that user that this app is worth seven ninety nine, and this is why you should pay for it. Yep. And then it's it's almost like a no risk then for the customer. It's like, yeah, I'll try it. I'll try it for a month and then I'll delete it if it's rubbish. Fine. Yeah. You know, that, that's totally fine. And and at um, that point, I think those seven ninety nine apps can probably become fourteen nineteen ninety nine apps as well because you can demonstrate some true value to the user um, without having to worry so much about getting them through the door. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Getting them through the door. And yeah, yeah I, I think especially there seems to be a bit of a conversation taking place at the minute. Well, it has been for a long time about, you know, apps are actually, a lot of work goes into apps and this notion that they should just be free and then we'll make it up on volume, hopefully, <laughs> you know, if you're like one of the rare cases that can do that, that just doesn't seem right. Um, no. You know, there's a lot of indie developers out there that don't have loads and loads of users, but they have a, a big enough group of users. But if we can just get those users to see the value in the work by way of a free trial and then pay if they like it at the end and pay a decent amount so the developer can you know, make yep. a living. Um, yeah, this is all just such like basic stuff to me that makes sense. And I don't know, it's just crazy why it hasn't happened. No, I would love to see that change come through. I'd love to see that be, be, even if it's, you know, buried in the back of some detail and it gets only half a minute's worth of of talking about it or whatever, what that would mean for indies would be phenomenal. 
Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button. That will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, Also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com. Again, that's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? You can follow me online at DaveNot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore DaveNot. <laughs>